0: discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code ABSURDITY at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there.
1: Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack, life, culture, theology. All right, hey everyone, welcome to Absurdity, an exploration of all things absurd in religion, culture, and society. And if you hear that car passing by, that is because I am on location right now in Waynesville, North Carolina. And I'm joined by a very, very good friend of mine, and uh, I don't say that with Brown on my nose because he's also my boss at work, but we are sitting on the porch of an Airbnb with an awesome outlook of the mountains uh, in Asheville, are on the outskirts, I guess, of Asheville. And so uh, we're just enjoying the weather. My dog is out here, and even though I set a pad down for her to lay on, she decided to lay next to it uh, instead of on it. But... So be it. So if you hear some random noises, um, there's a guy, like, trimming weeds down the way. Uh, don't worry about it. That's just nature. Um, but Rick Anderson, Jr. is joining me. Rick, thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Ryan. This is a great opportunity we have to have an important conversation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we've only been talking about doing this for six months. Um, <laughs> I and think so, yeah. We spend hours in the office every day together, and this is... We've Sometimes fun. talking about this topic. It, yes, exactly. But it took us only getting three and a half hours away from campus to be able to actually find the time to do this. Um, And I think that comes from both of us being in an Agram three. And so (laughs) we both have a lot of irons in the fire and don't have any free time. Yeah, it's wonderful. But um, I I do appreciate this uh, and you coming on. So um, real quick for those who have never, who have no idea who you are, uh, just give us some quick background on who you are, what you do, that kind of thing.
2: Yeah. So currently I'm the director of admissions at Southern Adventist University. Uh, I did get my undergrad at Southern, uh, did religious studies and a mass communication degree as well, um, and uh, always knew that I had some sort of calling into ministry, always felt compelled to ministry and to to serving people, um, but never felt the calling to ministry. So I didn't go the typical pastoral route in my education or my career. Um after Southern, I worked as a worship pastor at a church in Central California in the San Francisco Bay Area. And then worked as a worship pastor for a couple years in the Washington, DC area. Um, and then came back to Southern uh, a few years after graduating and uh, have been at Southern since. Um and for me, yeah, like I said, it's just uh, ministry was always a part of my life. Um it was always something that I felt compelled to do. And all those jobs gave me opportunities to do ministry and to serve people in the way that I felt God was calling me to. And one of those ways was through mentoring people um, and through mentoring relationships. So I'm excited that we get the opportunity to talk about that today and how that's impacted uh, my life and my journey and, and how I'm hoping to have that same impact on others now.
1: Yeah. And I'm, uh, the reason I think I appreciate this, this conversation that we're about to have is, is because there's a personal element to it. I think a lot of the times when we do interviews or anything, even on Absurdity, uh, when I hear interviews done, it's with people that they, you know, we bring in an expert from the field, but there's no, so you lose the personal attachment that you might have and I, or th- that personal angle. And so I think there's a bit of what we talk about just in our dynamic because I've known you since 2011 mm-hmm. um, when I started at Southern and then you became my boss and as a student worker and then um, <laughs> and a friend through that too. Uh, and from there, um, you stayed in touch, we stayed in touch and then you, yeah. um, brought me back to Southern a few years after I yeah. graduated. So, yeah. um, that's, it, it, and yes, it's I'm interesting really because
2: my experience was similar too, because I worked for, some people may know Jackie James, who had previously been the director of recruitment at Southern. I worked for him when I was a student. And then, you know, three or four years after leaving Southern, he calls me and says, Rick, I got that job for you. I want you to come back and take it. So pretty similar situation that we both found ourselves in with a mentor who we had during undergrad and who had employed us as students in undergrad and then uh, saw value in bringing us back. So that's pretty cool, too.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't realize that we had so much mirror experiences. (laughs) Um, Does that make me a mini, like a mini me? No, we're not going to go with that because you're taller than me. So that's true. I'll give you. That's fine. I'm okay with this. Um, So. Let's, as is tradition on absurdity, as we jump into any topic, because um, any word that we use, everyone has their own definition in mind. And one of the things I really try to avoid is um, using a word without ever defining it. So everyone just thinks they're listening to it through their own framework, mm-hmm. and so they miss it. A lot gets lost in that in that communication. So um, can you establish for us kind of what your operating definition is for mentoring? So that way, as we talk about it, this is the framework we're talking about it in.
2: Yeah, so I see mentoring as being a intergenerational relationship um, that is empowering. Um, I see mentorship as uh, one person who is... Uh, lived some life, had some experience. It doesn't have to be much more experience, uh, just some significant um, uh, elements of experience and life that they can pass on to uh, someone from the next generation coming up behind them. Um, And so really the importance there is the empowering piece, uh, that you're empowering that next generation individual to uh, fully realize their potential and uh, to help orient that person through investing in them and um, and giving them opportunities to grow, um, to help them realize their potential.
1: Yeah. So, with you, mentoring is very in this operative and operating definition. Mentoring is something that's very outwardly focused or other focused. Correct. Um, so yeah. it's not it's not really about how I benefit from this, though. I think as a mentor, you do end up benefiting. From things certainly, along the way,
2: certainly. I th- I think um, one reason that I've chosen to mentor people is because I care about the Seventh Avenue Church. I care about uh, the gospel ministry and uh, bringing more people into the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And so, a part of that is um, discipling people. I think discipleship is a form of mentorship um, when it's done in community. Um, And so I think uh, one reason that ministry is a natural vehicle for mentorship is that uh, we're trying to multiply our efforts. We're trying to create more opportunities for people to uh, develop and grow in the ways that they would serve others. And so when I mentor someone, I'm hoping that they're looking down the road and thinking that they would do the same, that they would invest in others as well. Um, The benefit that I had from mentors that I had as a mentee myself, um, I see their fulfillment in some of the things that I've done, um, and I know that they're proud of me in some of those ways. And so there is also this level of fulfillment and meaningfulness and purpose that come from being a mentor um, that is uh, fulfilling to me as a mentor um, Mm. as I invest in someone else's life.
1: Yeah. So there's a. I agree with all of that. Um, B. Uh, it'd be weird if I didn't. Let's <laughs> it'd be very strange if I didn't agree that discipleship was definitely a form of mentorship. But there's something you said there when you said uh, that's why I chose to mentor. Um, I want to basically. How did you find yourself in the mentorship position? In, in a mentor position, did you like just naturally end up having that, or did you actually say like, "Hey, I actually really want to find a way to mentor someone in X area"?
2: I I would say that. It is for some people um, kind of in in their blood and something that they want to do. And I would say that that's true for me. Um, But I think it's important to rewind in my own experience and think about the benefit that I experienced from mentors as a mentee first. um, I had um, a really great relationship with my father. Um, He was a very strong influence in my life. He is to this day. Um, and, uh, and my mother as well, and other people in my, you know, family and, uh, immediate community. But What's interesting is that, you know, as a male, uh, my father's influence wasn't enough. I needed other male voices in my life that had different credibility than my father or a different perspective or a different experience, um, to be able to invest in me and for me to understand, um, Uh, what my potential was, what my future might look like, um, and uh, how I might approach some of the challenges that I was facing in life. Um, I think that sometimes the people closest to us, we have a hard time taking, whether it's criticism or advice, because we feel like they have an agenda or something. Um, And so uh, to have an objective third-party voice, somebody who uh, was somebody also that I looked up to? Um, somebody that I saw the fruits of their labor, the the things that they were accomplishing, and I said, you know, that's that's somebody that I want to model my life after. Um, again, it, it it wasn't about you know looking for looking for another you know father figure or or something like that. It was looking for somebody who could invest in me in a different way than than my family was doing. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think of you know chaplains that. You know, I worked for when I was a student in in high school and academy. I think of uh worship leaders who when I was a fourteen year old playing guitar, uh invited me to come alongside them and play. Um, and I was able to learn from them not only in music, but also off stage in in their study of God's word and, and their, you know, own family dynamics, seeing them as a man, seeing them as a person in their life, um, you know, in their careers. Yeah. Um and so uh, those experiences were all formative, um, and it was because they intentionally said, "Hey, I see potential in this young person." When they looked at me, and they said, "Let me take him under my wing. Let me invest in him. Let me give him some of my bandwidth, some of my time, because uh, we can't we can't do that for everyone." That's another thing about mentorship that I want to talk about later is you can only do so much. You can't mentor everyone. Um, And so you do have to identify people who you think you have something to offer. And those men, and in some cases, even women, who saw potential in me and decided to invest in me uh, were really important and uh, brought so much meaning to my life and opportunity for me to grow and develop into what I think God had in store for me in my future and what I'm still discovering. Um, One other thing about... Um, those mentors that i had was um having those mentors and seeing their lives unfold also helped strip away some of the idealism and idolism mm, <laughs> idolatry yes. yeah, absolutely. that i had on on their lives and their achievements and and what i perceived uh was their life um because some of them failed some of them messed up some of them uh made decisions that i questioned and Uh, wondered about. Um, Some of them, uh, you know, walked away from some of the very things that they had invested in me. And so that's going to make you obviously question, well, what, what were those years about? What was, what was that person teaching me if they're not necessarily following all of those same things themselves? And that was an important lesson for me because it taught me to hold those characteristics, those examples, a little looser, um, that, that there was humanity in all of us and that failure is inevitable. And, um, and also that as I would in turn down the road, invest in the lives of others, that I would hold those investments with looseness, with, with, without kind of my own agenda or hopes and dreams, kind of living vicariously through that individual. It, it taught me and helped set an expectation that, uh, People are going to be their own selves, their own individual. They're going to live and approach their own individual life and follow their path. Um, Let's try that part again. What that really taught me was that each individual has their own path and that if we put our own agenda, if we project, if we try to live vicariously through the lives of someone that we're mentoring that will end up heartbroken and will end up um, creating space and um, perhaps uh you know terminating or or diminishing a relationship that really did have of a, a reason and a value in a season of life,
1: yeah no, absolutely and i and I think. So for me, I um, I didn't have a super close relationship with my dad, and listeners of this podcast know, or at least I hope they know, my dad passed away when I was 17, 26 now, so about eight and a half years ago, and I didn't have a super close relationship with my dad, and what that meant was I actually did have an idolized picture of him because I only saw certain things. Um, so this is kind of what happens with a lot of church members if they only see their pastor once a week, and they tend to... Idolize the good things certainly yeah. you don't see the bad things, and while I had found stuff some stuff out right before he had passed away as I was you know I was sixteen uh, and I found out some things uh, about him, it was really after he died that I found out a little bit more, and I realized that there were some skeletons in that closet, and um not anything that needs to ever be shared publicly because that's not my story, but enough that made me have to re kind of think my picture of him a, a, a little bit and it wasn't that i now hate my dad or anything but it was this idea that along the lines of of how you progressed here um remembering that even though people can do bad things it doesn't it doesn't necessarily cancel or negate the good thing it doesn't mean that the good things they did were any less good right um, that a good th- a good person is capable of doing bad things as much as a bad person is capable of doing some good things. Mm-hmm. Um the and I think where we get tripped up, especially with mentors, because mentors tend to be people that we do idolize. We we tend to wanna to be mentored by the people we idolize, yep. right? Right. Um I mean when I first came to Southern and heard that you had been there and I had been in a couple Facebook groups like the NAD Young Adult Advisory and some other stuff where I'd seen you active and I was like, who is this dude? And I wanna and what he works at Southern, like I wanna know who this guy is, I wanna I wanna talk to him. Like I um, that's how I always was when, when FLA got a chaplain that I really appreciated. Um, I walked right up into her office first day of her job and I was like, I want to work with you. Um, we, we tend to idolize those we mentor with. And when you idolize someone, you tend to stop believing that they can do wrong. Right. And so when they do have the moral failure, it shakes everything for yeah. you. It can shake everything Absolutely. for you. It can make you walk away. It can make you think that everything that, that they even subscribed to that you had in common was a lie um I, I i've joked about this because there were a couple professors at southern that n- like one professor knew uh when someone like gave him an idea right said hey professor what about this have you have you heard this before and he goes oh yeah you got that from page 698 from this book bottom of the page like it's seriously i watched him <laughs> do that in an old testament class and i was like this man if he ever leaves adventism like i don't How how can I even stay Adventist? This man is smarter than I like, smarter than I've ever seen. Um, He knew someone else's reference. Yeah. So it's like, um, but that's that's the risk you run when you do that is uh, like that's a risky position to take because you end up making your faith or your lifestyle dependent on the actions or behavior of those who've gone before you or of those who are alongside you, and that's that's a precarious place to be. I think Mm -hmm. so. There's a lot of there's a lot of validity there. Yeah. Um, when you were, uh, when you were a mentee and, and finding these, um, these male figures that, that, that taught you and, and, and guided you, um, what were some of the things that you th- wished you maybe had done differently, opportunities you'd think you could have taken more advantage of, things like that?
2: Yeah, I, I think about my teenage years and the great mentors that I had. Um, and I think about, uh, some of the, some of the best moments of those times. And I don't always think about, Oh yeah. Well, I was also wasting a lot of time, uh, doing, uh, dumb things. And, uh, you know, whether it was, you know, just being a social butterfly or, um, or playing video games or whatever, like they there definitely were opportunities where I was invited to engage in things that would have been development opportunities. And I said no to them. And I look back on some of those now, whether they were opportunities to work for someone as a student, or um, opportunities even to be a part of an event, or uh, even you know just spending time with some of those mentors. Um, Yeah, I would say that's the biggest actually. That there was a lot of my mentor relationships uh, revolved around doing and less about being present and having meaningful conversation. Um, and so maybe I missed out on some of the why while I was focusing so much on the what and how. Um, so I th- I think I could have used a lot of that time that was wasted on other things to be more personally invested in those relationships. Um, and I, I mentioned this earlier um, and I'll, I'll come back to that here that um, we often um, find ourselves in a position where, you know, maybe if, if you're a leader or public figure, there are a lot of people who want your time and you only have so much to give, mm-hmm. um, not only to them and to the work you're doing, but also to your family. Um, and you have to reserve obviously a lot of time for that, uh, as those are the most important relationships in your life that God has entrusted you with those people's lives and, and emotions and those relationships. Um, But you do have to identify, um, and prioritize, uh, your relational, you know, time and energy so that you're able to invest deeply in those individuals who you think will experience the most value out of your time. Yeah. Um, I think that, um, you know, going deep with individuals is something that, uh, can be scary, uh, can be, uh, we can feel like, oh man, that's going to take a lot of time and a lot of energy. And I'm not sure I have it. Um, but figuring out who is really going to benefit from that and, and offering yourself graciously to that person, um, your time, your energy, your wisdom, and your listening ear when it's important too, because mentors also have to be good listeners to be, a good mentor and to just be a good friend to the person that they're mentoring. Yeah. Um, and so I would say that time in this case um, is both what I uh, wish that I had made more for and that I would say can be a big inhibitor for a mentor as well, not just a mentee, but the mentor side of the relationship that they would create the space and bandwidth to invest their time
1: and energy uh, in the right people. Yeah. Well, I think I think it's funny because I, I think we have a sort of opposite um, things that we had done, wish we had done differently, because for me, well, yours was that you didn't say yes to enough things. I think I said yes to too many things. And this is something that we have talked about at length is my not my inability to say no, but my excitement about saying yes to so many things, because I, I say yes to a lot. Um, and, like
2: making a podcast and having a full-time job and you mean being making, involved
1: in ministry and you mean, you other podcasts that you do. <laughs> yeah, like three podcasts. <laughs> and a website 12th, project. A, and... a Kickstarter, <laughs> everything. Yes, exactly. So uh, the, was I said yes growing up to too many things, which meant that I never had time or never made time to process them. So in other words, there there comes a point where you say yes so much that it becomes about surviving the task or surviving the project yeah. and just getting through it um, rather than spending time actually sitting down and learning from it, being present and learning and, from yeah, it and... and, and enjoying that moment. Yeah, and, certainly. Um, that is one thing I will say um, the one thing that has saved me from that as far as worship events is, is concerned is um, I've always thought like, yeah, I can just record this. Like I could hold up my phone and record this and what, you know, whatever, like most people do. Right. Except I, on YouTube, watching live videos of bands that I like, I hate when I can hear the person recording singing. Singing, absolutely. And I value singing more than I value recording. So I never, like, so I always have this idea of, like, I want to record this song because I love this song, but I want to jam out to this song more than I want to record it. Um, So there are some elements of my personality that have actually helped me take be more in the moment and be more present. Um, But yeah, for the most part, I think I have said... Um. Yes, to too many things, especially in high school. Uh, There was a time my junior year of high school where I literally I was sitting. I was at school from seven a.m. to two p.m. or seven a.m. to two a.m. almost every day my junior year because I was doing so much and I felt like and I couldn't study at home. And there were some reasons I was able to pull that off as a student that not any student could just do. Um, But the um, I remember sitting there with like thinking to God like. Just let me get through this. You can kill me next summer. Just let me survive this this stupid year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look back at that and I just think I'm so ridiculous for being so overdramatic about it. But that's how stressed I felt in the moment. I didn't know how to process it. And so I was like, yeah, just, just end me after this year. But just let me get through it. Let me be done and finish. Um, glad he didn't. For obvious reasons. But um, yeah, I I am glad I I made it through that. But yeah, that that was what I'd say is the thing that I wish I had done differently. Um, So on the flip side of that, then what are things that you would affirm? What are things that you think were done well that you were really grateful for anything along those lines?
2: Um, John Maxwell, uh, in his book 21, Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, that's one of my favorite leadership books. He talks about the law of the model, meaning how leadership and how life are modeled for those around you those who you lead and what I would say was uh, that that has been and that sticks out from that book because it's it's the thing that I grasp onto so easily I watch other people do what they do I observe them I listen to their words and soak them in and um, I feel like um, the way that leaders that mentored me, uh, spoke and lived and, uh, did their jobs, did the things that they were called to do that I was able to just take so much from watching them. Um, and so I, I would just affirm anyone who's seeking a mentoring relationship or in a mentoring relationship, um, that being an observer, um, and that means watching the good and the bad, right. Uh, understanding, (laughs) um, understanding that, uh, you can learn from this other person's experience, this other person's work, the way that they approach that work. Um, that that I think is the mo- the thing that I would affirm in my experience the most, that I got the most value out of. And I can rewind in my mind and replay some of those moments where I was watching someone and and I still take lessons from those things today. And I still identify and connect the dots where you know what, I think I do that as a worship leader, or I think I do that as a, a mentor, a manager, a leader, because of how this person approached that
1: issue. It was funny. I think the easiest way for someone to find out how they did that or, or do that is uh, by uh, thinking about how you pray uh, when you're asked to pray publicly. Because I'm pretty sure all yes. of our prayers are just amalgamations of phrases we've heard other people use. Absolutely, <laughs> uh, I like a hundred percent. I can think of the times that I heard specific phrases used that I really liked, yes, or that like, and I'm like, ah, oh, I like that. Put something I've always wanted to say in the right words yes. or something, and it almost feels like my my prayers are like a copy and paste, like a like a cut-out ransom note uh, from old from kidnappings. From this source and that yes, source. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I can resonate with that highly. Absolutely. Um, man, I I had Wild.
2: Um, can I share a story on yeah, that, actually? Yeah, go, no, go for it. Yeah, actually, um, one of my college roommates uh, used to find me before I would lead worship on campus at Southern uh, for any event, and he would say, Rick, let me pray with you. And he would put my put his hands on my shoulders, and he would pray a powerful prayer, and then uh, quote the the text from Ephesians three at the end of it to him who is able to, uh, and so and so. Um. So Ryan is laughing right now because he's heard me quote that text so much, and he knows how meaningful that text yes. is to me. And uh, one day I was talking to this individual about, "Hey man, like, where did you pick that up?" And his grandmother used to pray that over him. Wow. And so, um. Now to carry it, you know, further down the line um, at one of the churches that I was a worship leader at, we actually painted the words from that, from that passage on the wall and the entire worship team would say it together after we prayed together backstage, before we would go lead worship, believing in the power that God was going to show up and do something um, uh, regardless of of our own failures and all that kind of stuff. Uh, But, but to think about one grandmother Praying a prayer over her grandson from scripture, and then her grandson praying that over a worship leader who shares that with a worship team and ministry. And now I hear people, whether they use the full text or just snippets of it, I hear people around me in ministry quoting that same thing, and I know the path that it's taken to get to them. And I'm appreciative to be one link in that chain, knowing that my friend's grandmother found power in the scripture and probably had it given to her by someone who invested in her too. Um, And to think how that influence over the ages has, has really made a greater and greater impact Mm. at each level. Um, And um, that actually leads to another really important point that I like to talk about with mentorship. And um, that is multiplication. Um, There are certain things I believe that our world our church, our communities need today. And those things are the fire in my bones. They're the things that really uh, drive me to be um, active in my local church, uh, to be involved in ministry in my community, to invest in people. Uh, those things that I see, some of them being the things wrong with our world and with our church, those are the things that really make me work hard to uh, correct and to compensate for, uh, for the benefit of others. Um, and one, one thing that I believe is at the core of, of mentorship is that those things that fire me up and get me excited about God and excited about seeing others pulled into the kingdom of God is what I am going to imprint on my mentee's life, hopefully. And they're going to go into a completely different community and have that same impact. And it's really visible in worship leading, uh, worship leading is, is my, you know, primary giftedness and, and the thing that I, uh, in ministry, mostly spend my time doing. Um, and so uh, by mentoring worship leaders, uh, especially while they're students at Southern, and then I see their growth while they're students, but then I see them move out to other communities around the U.S., around the world, and I see them doing, you know, a song that they led with me or I see them putting together worship programs or teams or ministries in ways that I may have modeled for them. Um, I get to see that multiplication happening within the church, within the context that I'm so deeply caring about. And, And the reality is that there's only one me and I can only be in one community. But if I can, within that community, invest in the lives of others, if I can mentor them, if I can help them understand Uh, why our world needs some of these things done differently, then they will then go into those other communities and be that beacon. They will be that person, that leader who can set a standard, who can do things differently and who can make important, meaningful improvements uh, where they are now, a place that I am not. And so it's, it's just multiplication of, of my heart. To see it happen in other communities, and to see somebody who I've invested in, and they're going to do it differently than I did, but to even see the influence you have on somebody to have a desire to go into a different community and to uh, do some of the things that that I've done in my community, that's just that's that's what really fills my heart as a mentor. Um, I think of one. Young couple in particular who uh, were uh, worship leaders in the ministry that Ryan, you now oversee at Southern <laughs> Engage Ministries that which you that, mentored me in <laughs> that uh, I ran back in in those early days of it uh, from 2011 to 15, um, and uh, this young couple were both involved as worship leaders, and then you know they left Southern, got married, and live in another community now here in the U.S. and they are. Um, using those gifts that they, they really developed and ramped up while on our campus and even doing greater things. Um, and mm. so, so that's just, it makes me proud. Uh, yeah. It makes me excited to see um, how God would multiply those relationships and those conversations and those opportunities that I gave those kids, pardon my use there, uh, as they became adults and uh, took on those challenges themselves. Yeah. It's just amazing to me.
1: So let me ask you. Then uh, I think I, I I really resonate with that, and especially with my work um, in things like, for the millionth time, I'm going to bring this up in your presence prayer conference, um, where I um, I like to say there are two types of
2: people. We talked about this <laughs> yeah, recently. <like> last night. <laughs> Ah, uh, there are those who went to prayer conference, and there are those who missed out on it. Yes. And missed out um, is a good
1: way to put that. Not didn't because go.
2: those who went feel like everyone else missed out. That's why yes, I say it that exactly. way. Exactly.
1: <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> it's okay. Um, but when I when I work with sixty student leaders,
2: yes, there's only
1: so many that in four days I'm going to actually be able to connect with. So the question becomes: When you talk about there's only so much you can do. How do you go about whether it's as a mentee choosing a mentor or a mentor choosing Mm -hmm. those that you're actually going to be able to invest in? Like what are the things, I mean, I guess it's dependent on situation and context, but what are the things you look for um, on both sides of that spectrum when you're making those decisions?
2: Well, I'll speak first as a mentee and then as a mentor. So when I was growing up, I had um, undeveloped gifts that I knew I wanted to develop and so I was looking to the people who did those things well. I um, remember the first time that one of those um, mentors who was a worship leader uh, led this old school song, but it was the first time I heard it. Again, this is like 2000, uh, led Shout to the Lord. And I remem- I ha- I can replay it in my mind. That's one of those moments that I was sharing earlier that I can replay in my mind. Um, and he led this song, and I was so moved by it. And I said, this is the kind of, you know, music I like structurally listening to, you know, contemporary rock in the 90s, um, alternative music. Um, this is the kind of music I like, but it's being used in church. How is this possible? And it it was a life changing moment for <laughs> yeah, me. Absolutely. Um, and so I was drawn to that worship leader and um, ended up joining the praise band that he led on campus at my Academy, um, my freshman year of high school. That was right after I saw him lead that song. And then the next year I was his student worker. Um, And to this day I have a relationship with this individual and, um, and let me finish the storyline with him really quick because years later, of course I'm working at Southern and his son comes to Southern and I got to have his son be involved with Engage mm. and go on trips as one of our musicians. Um, and I got to be invested in his life. Um, and, uh, and so it's, it's amazing how things come full circle. Um, but on the, on the mentor side, I think you look around you at those who are pursuing the things that you have the life experience and potentially some expertise in, uh, something to share. Um, you look for those who are pursuing those things. And you engage them. Uh you uh start conversation, you uh attempt to go deep in those conversations, and you see how receptive they are. Yeah. I mean, I I can think of several students at Southern who um I saw looking for the same things who wanted to be a worship pastor like I was when I graduated from Southern. And um so I said, Oh, let me let me have a conversation with this person. And I just got the vibe that this person is not going to be receptive to me and for whatever reason. And that's fine. I, 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 I wish God's blessing on them, but I wasn't the right mentor for them. Yeah. Um, and then there are others who I engaged with and they were receptive because they saw value in the relationship. And those are the ones you begin to invest in deeper and deeper and deeper. And, you know, I, I think there are, lots of levels of investment that you can make. And it is a relationship that's dependent on both parties engaging and interest in that relationship, um, and desire to spend the time and energy in that relationship. And so I would say as a mentor, seeking those to mint as a mentor, seeking those that you can mentor, um, seeing how receptive those individuals are who are pursuing the things that you have to share.
1: Yeah, I think I I would definitely agree with that. I I tend to very quickly find the students that I really connect with. Um, And one of the actual struggles I've had, especially given current climate, um, and this is like kind of a full transparency thing, but I've had to be really careful in this area, is one of the things I noticed even when I was a high school student is that um, because I'm in ministry, when you're working with a lot of youth, um, not a lot of males really step up.
2: They they don't um, necessarily that's have not, the emotional intelligence to yes. do so,
1: um, and so you end up working with a lot more um, female student leaders when you're yeah. when you're in a high school or academy context with an Adventism. Um, and so one of the things you end up finding is that kind of the people to mentor end up being um, younger other. Other gendered students, and you have to be careful with how you engage in those conversations and, and be and, yeah. and, and, and be very intentional about that with accountability and otherwise um, to make keep things kind of above board right but i I agree in finding the students that are receptive to you, and I think one of the things i 've always also tried to do is like i can 't spend so much time trying to get a student to be receptive right, but there are some where you where you you know I, I I can't. I guess it's a sixth sense or intuition. Whereas a high school student, you just think someone's you know a kid's a bully or a jerk. But then you grow up and you realize like, oh, that kid's a bully or they a jerk. Insecurities they, ha- and, yeah, they have yeah. They have some issues, and you 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 see that as a mentor, and you go, this is a student that I want to get to the point that I can that I can mentor them, yeah. and so I need to t- take the time to get them to a place where they're safe to be receptive. Yep. And so I always try to leave room for one or two of those when I'm working with with younger. Uh, younger generation. I don't want to say generations because I'm the second youngest. But um, you know, younger generation because I, I think um I think it is important to also build um the space for mentoring as well. Um so that, that would be I think the one thing I, I would have to add there, but I would agree with Absolutely. that for sure. Um so then let's let's um one one angle I, I did want to ask about was um, because this is something you've had to deal with with me as long as I've known you, uh, which is the boss-employee, the employer-employee relationship, because that mentorship is a little bit different um, because there are goals that are objective that are not just like, oh, I want to put you on the path that's good for you, but also the path that's good for whatever institution. Our organization, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So um talk to talk to us a little bit about that that angle like what what is your what is the mindset shift that you have when you're dealing with employee employer i i would start with
2: one thing that i think is still still an element um whether it's employee or non and that's re- receptivity mm. uh i i would say that it's that when i sit down with any of our team members if if you think of our team at southern in the admissions office um, some are receptive because they want to grow, maybe in, in the field that we're in, in enrollment management um, or higher education. Um, and others, they may have other career goals or see themselves on a different trajectory than my own. And so, they, when I ask them about where do you want to go and and how can I help you get there, their answers might not um be as insightful or as uh, exciting to me because i can do something about it they they may have a different trajectory and so so i would say that that the team that i manage i don't mentor everyone i i mentor those who are receptive to it um and uh, i would say that most of our team members are receptive and and enjoy the field of either ministry or education and see themselves being in it for a long time, and and I can help them in some sort of way in their development professionally. Um, but that's not, I don't think, the case for every individual. And so um, so I would say that that's still an important element. Um, I would say uh, one of the biggest differences is, since not everyone is, is looking for that same trajectory, is that I'm going to have to manage some rather than mentor. Um, and that means um, they're looking for somebody who would just give them clear expectations and allow them to do their work and, and give them, you know, the tools that they need to be successful. And I still have a good friendship and relationship with them professionally, but they're not coming to me for, um, the, uh, the extra elements of growth and development that would be included in a mentoring
1: relationship. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I think that's fair. And I think, I think there's another angle of mentorship that is um, that is big, and it's kind of the one we're experiencing now. So we're at um, we're both at at, Car- at the Carolina Conference Camp Meeting, which is for Adventists. It's kind of a every state conference does this, uh, and regional conference do, does this. Every kind of summertime, uh, every Adventist in the state basically is invited to one local place. Usually, it's one of our summer camps, but in the Carolinas, it's a Methodist Church Retreat Center. It's incredible. Uh, absolutely amazing. It's the best. Um, except for parking and the roads. But everything else <laughs> about it is fantastic. And um, yeah, we get together for a week. We have seminars, speakers, the rest of it. So we're out here with Engage Ministries for, from Southern doing music and, and worship leading for for young adults. And we put together a team. And so like basically when we recorded this, we had two options. We came outside under the porch and you hear yard work. Or we're inside and you hear the screaming of... Other guys downstairs playing Smash Bros on my Nintendo switch uh, as they <laughs> like those were our two options for background noise as we recorded this and but but the the other angle of mentoring here is as we go through this week leading worship, the college students and even the high school student that's with us um, they have the opportunity to see how you and I interact, how you me and the other adult here interact um, in a more observational and informal way and, and there's that element of mentoring that's not even Fully intentional, but I think you and I are kind of on the same wavelength. Of every time we're talking in the car driving somewhere, oh, yeah. or like we're thinking, like I really hope they're listening to this. Yes, um, I really hope they're catching the kind of conversations we have we're having here. Um, Or I hope they're feeling inspired by this. Or there's been times where we talk about music, and we hope that some people are are like, listen to this. What do you like? I need you to hear this. This is inspiring to me. What Um, do you think about it? Yeah, and so I think there's that element of of passive mentoring of just lifestyle, and that's discipleship, really. That's that's the disciples following Jesus around of of this, just seeing how we interact with each other and 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 learning from that. Yeah, within Um,
2: the context of community. Yes, we're we're having community this week. We're uh, I know even some of these younger guys love the term fellowship. Yeah, we're having oh, some sick fellowship yeah, right now. You just hanging out. Uh. Yeah. Um. So. <laughs> so yeah. I and and this week has been great too. You mentioned we have a couple of college students on our team. We have a high schooler as well, um, and we have one you know student who's just graduated from high school, going into college, um, and so. Uh it's it's been a really interesting experience for me and and Ryan we've we've been collaborators on putting this all together um but it's it's kind of a hodgepodge team um and not you know what I'm used to right now um mm. and I was telling one of them who's who's older and I've I've done a lot more music with in the past uh, one of the team members, the band members, I said, I'm, I'm having to go a little bit old school uh, and kick back a few years in my experience because I've been spoiled by some of my recent experience and having um, some very seasoned musicians around me in my church context. Uh, and right now I'm having to kind of go back to what did it mean to bring, you know, some high school students, some younger college students kind of up to speed to the level of proficiency and effectiveness in worship um, that, uh, that I'm, I'm trying to set as the standard, uh, in the places I go. And, um, so that includes a lot of communication, a lot of grace and openness and encouragement to those individuals. Um, you know, one of the individuals on our team this week is, is really shy. And the way that I mentor her is by pulling, pulling her aside on occasion and saying, Hey, you're doing a really great job. I really like what you're doing here and being specific in some positive reinforcement because I want to see her continue to lean into those strengths um, and making one suggestion after I've offered several encouraging comp, you know, compliments of how she's doing um, and, and letting that one, you know, whether it's critique or, or, or a piece of advice, letting that one piece be the piece that sits with those other pieces of encouragement um, that I both hope that she continues to grow in those areas and that she, um, Uh, improves in the one where she needs it.
1: This is hilarious because I've been doing the same thing (laughs) to the same person all week long. (laughs) That is hilarious. Uh, Granted, the critique and stuff that you give is more specific to what she's actually functionally doing uh versus mine tends to be a little bit more broad because I don't have the same sure. specialty right but sure. it's been a, from a different perspective so there's there's the one of the musician you respect and then there's the one of the person running sound for you and someone who's who you're leading in worship yeah um yeah. so that that yeah. is um that's just that's just crazy to me that's just hilarious to me that we Well been... yeah
2: I think that that's intuitive though right yes absolutely to
1: anyone who's in leadership
2: is that you uh, figure out words uh, and uh, ways in which to express yourself that uh, are positive reinforcement of the things we like and encouragement on the thing that we need improvement in. And um, so we, you know, we're both there leading this group together and uh, collaborating together in many ways. So it would, it makes sense that we would do yes. those same things. And
1: well, and I, and I think the other side of that is you're doing that with someone who you also have permission to do that with and to Um, so many times I think people think they're a mentor to someone when they're not. Um, so they say, Hey, I have a piece of every older pastor I've ever spoken to in my entire life when I was, when I was full-time pastoring um is hey i have some advice for you and i'm thinking like yeah i've been doing that the entire like <laughs> you're not telling me something i either didn't know or you're telling me something that literally does not work in my context yeah like i came to you asked me how my churches were doing i told you i answered your question and then you said oh you know i have some advice for you and i go i don't have i didn't, ask I, didn't for it. I literally didn't ask for it i answered your question um but that's really important like the advice the advice is consistent with the affirmations when it's someone who knows that they're not they don 't need to take it personally because've yeah. they 've given you the permission to share that
2: that goes back to the earlier point you made that you're you're always looking for someone who maybe takes some additional bandwidth that you can invest in so that you can have that passport so that you can yes. have that space to have that important crucial conversation with them. Um, Some of those uh, come easy because they're very receptive and some take time to build and invest in that relationship uh, before you can you can go there.
1: Yeah. And I think that's why I just think permission is so huge. I know consent in general is a huge thing right now, given cultural trends. But I think especially within within mentoring relationships, like um, I think too many people assume that just because they are in an older generation, it is their role to mentor. And there are some people that just shouldn't. Yeah. um and And not necessarily that there's nothing for them to mentor in, but that maybe the sphere they think they're supposed to mentor in is not the one mm-hmm. uh it's not it fam and uh <laughs> Just... that's uh that's that's how I feel about it and, as the kids and, say as the kids say yes so um uh, as we're kind of i guess winding down here i I want to ask this because one of the things with absurdity is that we tend to be um i tend to speak to um a space of anger, frustration, pain on this podcast, a lot um, of those who are listening. And, and because I believe that those spaces need to be spoken into and, uh, and, and people need to be affirmed in them. And I think there's one space within mentoring that um, we don't talk about, and that's the toxic mentorships. And so I want to ask this um, from someone who's been doing intentional mentoring longer than I have um, much longer than I have, which is you're not that old, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And it's this, what, what would you say to someone who's had a negative experience with mentoring on either end, whether as the mentee or the mentor, whether it's someone who's been faced rejection, someone who's faced abuse, uh, dismissal, you name it. Like what, what do you, what do you say to someone who's in that kind of sphere that says like, I never want another mentor again?
2: Yeah. I, I think a lot of that probably stems from where we started that, uh, you can hold too tightly onto um, the decisions that that your mentor or mentee are making that you may not be able to co-sign on. Um, I think that an important lesson that both sides, a mentor and a mentee, should take from, uh, from the examples that I can share is that um, you have to allow the other person to live their life And make their decisions ultimately and if they make decisions that lead them away from that relationship um then then so be it that's that's the course that they've chosen and we all have that free will um and perhaps you're in a a mentoring relationship right now where um maybe somebody is holding and clinging too tightly to your decision making and and they're being uh they're living vicariously through you and through the things that you're doing that they wish they had done when they were your age or um, that they believe you can do as a gifted young person. Um, If you're in that space, um, I think an honest confrontation uh, that's done graciously to just say, you know what? I think I'm going in a different direction in my life and that um, I appreciate uh, the ways that you've invested in me, but those things or that path that we were headed down isn't the right path for me. I've And of course, taking time to, to pray about it and, uh, really, uh, do that work of self-examination and reflection. Those are important pieces to making sure that you need to walk away from that mentoring relationship. But I would say ultimately what it would require is just an honest, uh, gracious confrontation mm-hmm. to say, um, Hey, thank you for everything you've done for me. Um, I want to tell you that I'm, that I'm walking in a different direction now. Um, I actually, um, I'll share just as a mentor, some of those experiences I've had as, uh, you know, two young men especially come to mind who I have invested in deeply and they've made decisions in their lives that I don't completely co-sign with, but I love them. I, Um, support them as they have gone down a different path than I would have chosen or that I would have pushed them down if I was trying to live vicariously through them. And um, as I've let those things go, I've seen my friendship with those individuals go into a new space um, and uh, seen uh, their love and respect return to me in certain ways that have have been rewarding in, in new ways to me, not as a mentor but as a friend as in some as and as someone in relationship and community with those yep. individuals. so I would say that there can be a positive outcome even to that conf- conversation to say, "Hey, thanks for leading me to where we are right now, but i'm going to go mm-hmm. a different direction right now. One of those two individuals i'm mentioning who has taken those other paths, one of those individuals did have that clear conversation with me and said, Rick, this is where I think I need to go next. And here are the reasons I've been thinking a lot about it. And although, Rick, I know you want me to do this and that and you've opened these doors for me. I'm grateful for that. I'm going to walk this way because I think it's actually the right thing for me. And I've seen him thrive down that path that he's taken. And I'm proud of him. I love him. I keep in touch with him regularly and consider him a friend and look forward to seeing what else is going to happen in his life. Who knows? He may call me back someday and say, hey, all those doors you had opened to me before, I think those were the right doors, <laughs> and I'd like, to, I'd like yes. to explore those again. That may happen, but I don't care. Yeah. Because what I care about is that I was able to invest in this individual and get them through a season, mm-hmm. lead them to their giftedness and their potential, and what they do from there is between yeah. them, their conscious, and their God. And, uh, and I have to be okay with that. And so yep. that's a valuable thing I've taken away from it.
1: I think too, um, even, even recognizing that that isn't the path you were supposed to go. Like that's what, that's a benefit of mentoring and, and being in that relationship is finding out exactly, it's not so much what you should do, but also what you shouldn't do. And if you find out like now that you're seeing behind the curtain of the thing you may have loved or thought you loved, maybe you don't love it as much anymore. Maybe you, right. maybe you've learned by getting involved that you actually have talents in this other area you never even right. dreamed of. So um, I mean, I look at, I think of this is strange, but I, I I'm thinking of Dave Grohl actually right off the top of my head who uh, yes. was took a backseat in Nirvana, yeah, and then starts the Foo Fighters, became the most prolific
2: frontman in inc- in modern rock, Yeah. incredible,
1: right? You you by doing one thing, you may find you may realize like, oh wait, I'm actually I could actually do this other thing, yeah. right? I can do this other space maybe within the same niche, but. Still a different space. Yeah, um, that's huge. Um, and I think the other thing as a mentor, I've l- realized with mentees that may not be doing the right, I may not be the right mentor for them is trying to think of okay, if this is the trajectory you're on, then who's someone I could connect you with? Yeah, uh, in a very organic way. Yeah, to just be like, oh, hey, I heard. You know, it looks like you really have been liking this. So I, I, I talked to the buddy of mine. Would you? You know, I you know, this dude is great in this, or this girl is amazing in this, and I'm sure she would love to talk to you about this kind of thing. If you if you would be game, I'd love to put you two in touch. And that that even doesn't even have to have the conversation of, hey, this isn't working out, but literally just it's this kind of natural passing off or handing off to someone else to continue that mentoring relationship. Um, I think that's huge. But but I think the other element of what you've said is um, there's a verse that I think gets abused a lot. Proverbs 22, 6, I looked it up. Um, and it's train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. And parents use this all the time. Pastors use this all the time to talk to parents, and I think it is also applicable to mentors. Um, And what what traditionally I think the interpretation of that text has always been is train up a child in the way you think he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. But that's not what that text says. And the reason a lot of parents are seeing their kids depart from the way that um, the, the seemingly break that verse that, that is because they had the wrong expectation from the outset, and I think as mentors, a lot the pr- the underlying principle of everything you've shared, um, and it started with your operative operative definition, is this idea that you are empowering someone on the path that they're on. Correct. Um, and that's why you're also able to let go of someone when you realize that the paths, the path that you're on, the path that they're on, aren't the same. Where my limitations have led them to the as far as I can take them. Yeah. Um, you are training someone up in the way that they should go and then you are releasing them at the end of it um, yeah. and where, or wherever that, and you know, wherever is most uh, um, applicable to do so. And I think the most beautiful mentorship or mentoring relationships are the ones where at the end of it, you do become friends or you, and I know that it's always, you know, with, with teachers or pastors who've become um, who who were mentors to me, I, there's always that element of like, Uh, Do I do I call them still Mr. or Mrs. or do I do I call them by their first name? What do I do now? Like we're colleagues. Right. Like it's very weird. Sometimes one of my my advisor at Southern is someone who was a mentor to me. And now we're colleagues. Now we're colleagues. Uh, It's very strange. So like, what do I call him? And that was a conversation I had to have with him. And I, I just referred to him as his last name without any titles. That's how I refer to him now. It's great. But that's that's something that's very real is looking for the ways to empower people in the calling that God has for their life, right. or the purpose that they feel pulled toward. If they're if they're not someone who is religious, right? Because this is I think the principles that we've talked about are
2: beyond spirituality and religion.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, and so I think any framework can can take something from this. And and so I, I just okay. So final question. I did not warn you about this one, and I and, and I want to oh. we're going to have some fun here. Um, you mentored me, um, still are. What do you think is the most practical thing, uh, whether it's in ministry or in life, that you think you have taught me? Oh, man. And we may disagree here, but we could both still be right. This this could be interesting, though, to see what you think, too. Um, Biggest tool you've given me, you name it. Yeah, you can have a second to think about this. I think you
2: already had a skill set in what I would define as... um, kind of organizational culture leadership I think you had a budding skill set there and I think that I helped continue to cultivate that I think uh, that you um, approach many of the things you do to promote culture within an organization or ministry uh, in a way that I helped you develop um, mm-hmm. and guided you into but you already were developing that skill set and and I think that's a that's a framework that that I like to see like Somebody's already growing in this area. You just help shape it yeah. and refine it and, uh, and give them some of the words that they need. So I would say that's it.
1: Okay. So I'm going to agree, but within something even more specific, because okay. there's an actual behavior that I do now that I only... I, maybe it was that I was given the courage to do it because I watched you do it, or maybe it was, I, or maybe it was just over time seeing it, but... Um, my willingness or or confidence in having tough direct conversations with people mm. um i am much more willing to not beat around the bush and just to be straightforward knowing that the other person is not going to like what they hear and understanding that no matter how i phrase w- something that is that they're going to dislike they're going to dislike it and so i have more to lose by beating around the bush than i do by being very direct with them and making being sure they honest. understand yeah, yeah. Um, and that is salvaged relationships That's salvaged mm-hmm. friendships, um, in professional environments. That is, um, I don't want to say salvaged my job, but there are t- some times where I've had to have some very direct conversations with people when I was pastoring. Um, and so, yes. Yeah, so within it is, that's still cultural framework within an organization, uh, within an organization. Culture, I think yeah. that's huge. So. Um, because yeah. culture takes some of those crucial
2: conversations. Yeah, absolutely, I, I love
1: I love it too. Because there are moments I can watch it in you too. Um, don't get self conscious. But the there's this moment where you're, you're you you come to this fork in the road where you're like, do I beat around the bush, or do I go blunt? And you go. <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to be blunt for a second. And then you just hammer it in. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> uh, get him. Uh, I love it. So no, th- uh, Rick, first of all, thank you for the role that you've been in my life. Um, and not just as a mentor, or as a boss, but as a friend, um, as someone in ministry too. Um, I very much appreciate you and the role you played in my life. And thank you for coming on Absurdity and sharing a bit about this. I think, um, I think there's a lot here that I think people can take from. So just, I appreciate you. I appreciate your perspectives and and your journey. Thanks so much.
2: It's been a blast.
1: Awesome. So, um, listeners, you can, um, find us on iTunes anywhere. Um, you can find all of our contact info in the description. And also, um, please, while we are running this Kickstarter until July 9, go to www.thescratchnews.com. We actually just redesigned the website fully for you. So you can actually view a little bit more than you used to. Um, and if you donate, um, $30 it is 3 months early access so go to the scratchnews.com check that out there's there's a link in the sidebar or in, in the episode description as well but um, thank you guys so much we'll see you next week today's episode of absurdity is sponsored by the haystack the haystack is a voice for young adults in the seventh day adventist church that produces articles music reviews videos and more to check them out Go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.